This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today, we are talking about figs. And this episode was suggested by listener Wren. <laughs> Thank you, listener Wren. So I did the research for this episode. I don't know if you listeners know this because our show is, is sometimes so scant with information, but we actually do research and we take turns doing the research for this show. And today, I learned a lot about figs. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Can I tell you people like why we're recording remotely and where where we are? Oh, where I am? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're in your home as usual. No, usually you're in yes. my home. Uh, That's right. So I'm uh, I'm on vacation in Calgary. I'd mentioned this on the show a while back. By the time you hear this, I will have been back for a while. But I'm having a great time in Calgary, and I just want to tell everybody that the best thing in Calgary is the black-billed magpie. It is the like the world's most beautiful bird, and it's like a pest, and they're everywhere. And this morning, I, I saw so it's it's like a pigeon size and shape of bird, uh, but with with a black beak and like like white feathers with like green green or blue iridescent plumage and an extremely long tail and looks majestic in flight. This morning when I was out on my walk, I saw one uh, swoop down over Kensington Avenue and uh, glide to a stop and start pecking at a pool of vomit. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Wow. Um, Well, you know, gosh, I'm glad to know... Or maybe I'm a little disappointed to know that Calgary is a city just like other cities with pools of vomit. I, I hoped that it would be maybe free of that. I mean, I haven't seen many, but uh, like, okay. we're, we're staying okay. like the street I was walking down is like like an entertainment sort of nightlife area. So this is probably I was, I was going to say this is leftover from Saturday night. But no, last night was Sunday night. So I don't know. <laughs> Somebody had a rough Sunday night. I guess I was so. at home knitting. Meanwhile, so, yeah, I was at home eating eating uh, Korean pizza delivery oh korean pizza it was it was bulgogi pizza it was really good yes okay but uh today we're talking about figs yeah this was so this yeah suggested by listener ren who i'm assuming is a bird who uh just likes to like fly around and eat figs and was like "Hmm, i like these things i'd like to hear about them on a podcast i bet listener ren has never heard that before okay maybe not the fig version of the joke (laughs) uh matthew so you know today we're going to be talking about fresh figs we're going to be talking about dried figs but We are going to begin 
by going down memory lane, as we always do, where hopefully there are not pools of vomit. (laughs) Yeah, I hope not. You go first. Okay, so, you know, my dad was a, 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 a man of many things. You know, he was a, the endive man. What else was he? He, was the, he, he discovered Altoids. <laughs> right, he's, he, he invented Altoids. He's an endive man. Um, and, and he invented Altoids in like the 1790s, I think. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, he also loved figs. My dad okay. loved figs and dates in particular. But I, I distinctly remember my dad loving figs. And I remember at a certain point, this probably was the 90s, which we're going to talk more about in a minute, because I feel like the 90s ushered in just like a wave of all things fig yeah. uh, in the American culinary scene. But I remember... My dad, at some point, being able to get a little pint of fresh figs at the grocery store in Oklahoma. And and we'll talk a little bit later about why fresh figs are hard to get. I mean, they're just, they're perishable. They don't transport well. They play hard um, to get. They play hard to get. But I just remember my dad having one of those, like, dad ecstasy moments, uh, eating a fresh fig. And so, yeah, I always think of figs and my dad. He was having sort of like a Bacchanalian... <laughs> Bacchanal. <laughs> like I mean, fig, right. figs and dates sound sound like someone something someone would get really excited about in ancient Greece, right? I know, I know. Well, they had Altoids back then. That's, that's right. Maybe no, I was going to say maybe your your dad's uh, history of, of culinary invention goes back further when, than we realized. Maybe he was the first, like back in ancient Greece. I need to find a way to kind of sum up my dad's food tastes. I mean, he was okay. he was uh, he was hedonistic for one thing. I mean, he I mean, loved foie gras. Like, he loved sure. stuff like that. So, like you know, rich flavors, but but definitely he erred toward like uh, the 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 old continent. Oh yeah, I think he, people he get liked, the idea. Like, okay. Great. <laughs> okay, so your dad ate figs back back in ancient my Greece and, and more recently. And I remember when my parents bought the house that, that they, like sort of the house of their dreams, which they bought when I was like in eighth grade. In Nichols Hills. They, in Nichols Hills. They did some landscaping outside it and they planted a fig tree. And I don't remember ever getting to actually eat figs from this tree. I do remember my mother stressing out about the fact that birds were always eating the figs. It was listener uh, Wren. Right. But my parents had this fig tree and I don't think of figs as growing in Oklahoma, but they did grow quite well, I think, in some people's yards, namely my dad's best friend, Michael Davelman, who I may have spoken about on the show. I don't remember Michael, that name, but maybe. Oh, my God. I cannot believe I haven't talked about Michael Davelman. Oh, no, but so probably Michael, you did and I wasn't paying attention. Oh, perfect. Okay. Well, then I won't repeat the whole story for the listeners who do actually pay attention. (laughs) But anyway, Michael was my dad's friend who he met outside a Skaggs Alpha Beta grocery store because my dad was admiring Michael's Citroen. Oh, nice. Do you remember this? You don't remember this? It sounds vaguely familiar now. Like, I I think I'm just not surprised, but I am delighted that your dad was admiring a Citroen. In, in a in a Skaggs Alpha Beta parking sure. lot. That was the grocery store. Well, so Michael was a former like New York cab driver who had fallen in love with a woman from Oklahoma when she got into his cab like years earlier. Wow. And he had moved to Oklahoma with her. So it was Michael and Becky. And she was an artist and she would like hand paint t-shirts and things. And they started out selling them at like flea markets and fairs. And it grew into this like massive multi-million dollar company. What kind? Okay, this does sound familiar. What kinds of t-shirts? 
uh, I don't know if the company still exists, but t-shirts with like, like really cute little like repeated uh, images of uh, animals on okay. it. And all different like kinds of clothing. <laughs> Yes, actually, her name was MC Escher, <laughs> and she was. Anyway, but Matthew, hang on. So, and so by the time she, my, she's like, I'm going upstairs, and like hours later, somehow she was still climbing the stairs. <laughs> okay, hold on. But by the time, so when my dad met, by the time she got to the top of the stairs, <laughs> shut up. Okay. <laughs> When my dad met Michael in the Mm -hmm. grocery store parking lot, he'd been living in Oklahoma for a while uh, with Becky. And this company was like really big and was basically sustaining the two of them. And he was a writer. He's one of those writers who, you know, you'll you'll never see a thing he writes. But he devotes hours a day to reading and writing and still does as far as I know. But anyway, Michael and Becky had this beautiful garden in this house that they now owned. And I remember going to their house and it was the first place I ever ate almond paste. Oh, nice. Um, Becky made this incredible almond cake. But anyway, they had like absolutely thriving fig trees. Okay. And I think this is where my parents got the idea to plant a fig tree. That's the end of that story. <laughs> okay. I have one question about that story. Uh, if you know yep. the answer, how long did okay. your dad hang out by the Citroen before Michael showed up? Was he like waiting, like lying in wait to meet the owner of this cool car? I have no idea, actually. Okay. But do you All know right. what? God, can I just tell you one more like really dear thing? And Please I think do. you can imagine this because both of the both of these men were like at that point. Well, Michael was younger than my dad. Michael is younger than my dad was. So maybe Michael was in his late 40s. My dad maybe in his early 60s or late 50s. Mm-hmm. And the two of them would get together and they would walk around the neighborhood together just like talking about like big ideas. Oh, that's nice. We, we do that Isn't sometimes. That so dear? I mean... Anyway, that was, that was my dad's best friend. Uh, for the the last part of his life, we usually talk about small ideas, but we've we've occasionally talked about big ideas. Oh yeah, I feel I mean, like if we in, if you well, and I so, lived in the same neighborhood, we would do this pretty often. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And they also they also were kind of little catty bitches sometimes, and would go like walk <laughs> through houses that were under construction and like critique the houses. And, sure, yeah, which we would never do because we are not catty like that. Right. Okay. So my my fig memory lane. So I remember eating dried figs as a kid as uh, just like one component of one kind of dried fruit that I would occasionally get. Um, And like my first real fig memories are like from the 90s when suddenly figs became like a hip Mediterranean ingredient and like started appearing everywhere along with balsamic vinegar, prosciutto, caramelized onions and goat cheese. That like, is right. That was right? like a holy, uh, not a trinity, a, uh, a, 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 quin, a, a quintinity. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This was um, very. Is it like a northern Italian vibe? Is that what I it feel is? like? It's like, a northern Italian vibe. I never really knew like to what extent this represented anything that was or had ever gone on in Italy. But like you know, when I think about eating like a pizza with like fig and prosciutto and caramelized onion, that still sounds pretty good. Maybe like a drizzle of balsamic after it comes out of the oven. That sounds good, mm-hmm. right? This was you know one thing that we forgot to add to the uh, quin. Tinity, or whatever mm-hmm. it was called, is arugula. Of course, yep. Arugula. Yep. Toss some of that on the pizza when it comes out. This is sounding, I, mm-hmm. I might make this. 
I mean, there's a reason why it was so it was so trendy and popular. It was delicious. absolutely yeah. And then sometime in like the 2000s, maybe like early 2010s, uh, there was a guy I knew who, whose name I'm not going to mention. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, this was a very nice thing that I'm complaining about, but he had a backyard fig tree and it produced hundreds of figs every year and he would like try and and like foist them off on uh, on everyone he knew and you can't say no when someone's like can I give you some fruit from my backyard tree and the figs were good but he would give me a bag of like 90 of them wait was this in Seattle yeah they were green so- figs Okay. Yeah, I didn't really think of like figs growing in Seattle either. And they, they were good. They, they were not great, but they were pretty good. And uh, mm-hmm. I would eat like three of them and then uh, throw the rest away. You know, it's interesting because I actually, after we decided on the topic for this show, a couple days ago when I was out walking around in the neighborhood, I saw a young fig tree with little tiny fruits on it and was like, June, nice. look, there's a fig tree. Were they excited? June is very into fruit. Like June is just uh, an enthusiast when it comes to food. So yes, June was psyched to see these little tiny green figs. Okay, that's great. It's interesting to me that because I, you know, well, we're going to talk more about where figs originated in the Mediterranean, but you know, it's in much drier, like more arid climates, sandier soil, things like that. So it's shocking to me that they have done so well throughout the world in all kinds of temperate zones yeah no, that makes sense Seattle. and i'm not surprised you noticed a fig tree like when we were about to do this episode it's like that thing how like you know when you get a citroen suddenly you notice it seems like everyone's driving a citroen that's right that's mm-hmm. exactly right yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about what figs are because i feel like if you know like a little bit about figs just a little bit like y- you might know that there's like a wasp involved. right oh we got to talk about that wasp. And- one thing i'm so excited about is that finally we're talking about a fruit that's not a berry I think. I think you're right. I think you're right, because I didn't see the word berry at all while I was researching this. So get ready. We're going to throw down some botany here in a minute. We're going to have a visit from Mr. Mr. Botany. We're going to have a visit from Mr. Etymology. And it's going to be great. So, okay. So just, you know, let's start out talking about what this fruit looks like. So it's teardrop shaped. Uh, Sometimes it has a green skin and that may ripen or it, it always has a green skin, but sometimes it may ripen to purple or to brown. Okay. The flesh inside is soft and reddish. I think of it as being like more rosy the more ripe it is. Oh, yeah. Um, and it has tons of little crunchy seeds in it. It's like yes. the original chia seed. It's like, well, but it, but chia seeds are kind of, are kind of like, like mucusy, right? Well, but don't you think of the inside of a fig as being a little, yeah. I don't know. I guess I think it's, it's a slightly different texture, but, but yeah, I see what you mean. No, it's like, okay. it's like the original inside out chia pet. There you go. And if you have ever like sliced into a fig or maybe broken a fig off of the plant, you may have noticed that the green parts give off this like milky sap which, if you get it on your skin, is an irritant. Is this like, um, remember so, our winter squash episode, which I think was episode two, how we like cut yes. into the squash and it, and it was like uh, sweating little droplets that uh, they were extremely astringent? Is it something like that? No. <laughs> okay. But I... <laughs> But I know what you mean. <laughs> All right. So actually, so I just want to have a little sidebar here. Please. Uh, a, a, men- a mental sidebar. This is like at the judge's t- bench, like we're, we're like having a sidebar. That's exactly don't, right. Step whatever over you do, here. Don't let the jury hear what we're about to say. <laughs> okay. Murder. 
Okay. Anyway, Matthew, when I was researching figs, I learned about something called grocer's itch. That um, sounds really which, bad. Which is unrelated to the milky sap. Okay. But I just want to tell everybody what it is because I, I just had no idea. Like, it sounds like grocers everywhere might suffer occasionally from this. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I hope it's... it's occasional and not constant. Okay, so it is a cutaneous condition characterized by a dermatitis that occurs from coming into contact with a type of fruit mite or house mite. Okay. And it usually occurs when people handle dried foods like uh, figs, dates, prunes, grains, some right. cheeses. What about jerky? And... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I, I imagine like maybe if you if you work the, the bulk section, if your job is to like refill the bulk foods, I wonder if this is something you know about, like grocer's itch or like the mites that want to live inside these like dried foods. First of all, I hope this is covered by workers comp. But also, I feel like if I were a grocer, I wouldn't want the like word of this to get out that there's that there's a I condition know. called grocer's itch because like pe then people like first of all like might ask me like, "Hey, do you get grocer's itch?" and then also they might like not want to get close to my skin. Yeah. Right? Totally. It's like it's like when I once dated a guy who had necrotizing gum tissue. Oh, yeah. It's it's that that <laughs> it's actually like seems that. worse. Anyway, but that said, Matthew, you know, just as a PSA, guys, I learned from my dentist that, you know, we all have similar bacteria in our mouth. It's just okay. some of us kind of keep it in check and some of us can't. Yeah. So I don't think necrotizing grum, grum tissue is catching. <laughs> okay, that's good. Grum? That said, but, grocer's itch might be catching. I don't know. But, but also, like, I mean, even if it's not catching, like, I don't, I don't want to see it. I, I don't want to have it. And like, I feel bad for the person who has it, but also I don't want to see it or kiss it. Right. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Lori, you've been warned. Okay. Uh, so, um, okay. Let's go back to talking about, about uh, what this fruit actually is. Cause this is really cool. So, the, the fruit of the fig tree is referred to as a siconium. It's S-Y-C-O-N-I-U-M. That, that sounds which, like... Wow. Like it sounds like something from like a like a sci-fi like like cyberpunk post-apocalyptic novel. A siconium is a fleshy hollow receptacle with lots of tiny ovaries on the inside surface. So I mean wow. exactly what a fig is basically. So it, in other words a siconium contains like hundreds to thousands of highly simplified little flowers or florets mm -hmm. all over its inner surface. So, yeah. um, so that's that's what a fig fruit is. But uh, botanically, it's an infructescence, uh, okay. which is a type of multiple fruit. And isn't that what a pineapple is too? Uh, sure. Yeah. It's like it's like a whole bunch of fruits smushed together. Yes. Yes. Kind of. Now, yeah. however, a pineapple I think is a berry. It is. Don't 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 double check me on oh. that. But yeah. Oh dear. Okay, so the siconium here, we're, we're back to talking about the fig, is closed off from most organisms. Mm -hmm. It's, it's I like mean, sealed off. Sometimes I feel that way too. Yeah, everybody uh -huh. does. Okay. You know, it's okay. As long as you keep a small opening. <laughs> okay, I'll try. That, that preferably is, is like fringed with, with some like little scale type leaves. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so that only the ones you want can enter. All right. And, uh, you know, recently we watched a horror movie called uh, Let the Right One In. Oh, I've heard of that, but I haven't seen it because horror movies are too scary for me. So basically, the, the Siconium is designed to let the right one in. And the right one here is a is a specialized type of wasp. Oh, called yeah. a fig wasp. Okay. So the fig wasp is able to enter through that little opening at the, you know, the the rounded end of the, the teardrop shaped siconium. And what it does is it pollinates the tiny little flowers on the inside. Yeah. After which each little fertilized ovary develops into a seed. Okay. So at maturity, these little seeds, which are actually like single seeded fruits, line the inside of the fig. So yes, it is a, a, a like a receptacle filled with little tiny fruits. Okay, a couple of things. So first of all, I imagine, you know, this is a symbiotic relationship, right? And there must there must be like, not just like one kind of fig wasp, but lots of different kinds, like like different ones for each species of fig, probably, right? That would make sense. That would make sense. But here's the other thing, which we're going to get into, is that not all figs require this kind of pollination. Okay. So there are there are three different types. We're not going to go deep in this. There's there's a persistent or common type fig, and then there is a caduceus fig. Oh, and yeah, and then is there's that, one that's, that's a like fig that's also a pharmacist. <laughs> that's right. Okay, I may be pronouncing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway, I'm not sure. I've never seen this word before. What does it mean? <laughs> hold on. So okay. the common, the persistent or common type fig, so black mission is one of these types. It has all female flowers on the inside of the siconium, and it right. does not require pollination for fruiting. So the fruit can develop through parthenocarpic means. Do you know what okay. that means? I do know what that means. So parthenocarpy, it's like the like the plant equivalent of parthenogenesis. So it's when it, a uh, the, the ovary of the plant develops into a fruit without requiring fertilization. Um, okay. Oh, this is Mr. So, Botany speaking, by the way. Oh. <laughs> and it is something that is relatively uncommon in nature, but relatively common in commercial fruit production because it produces uh, seedless fruits. And also like seedless require, watermelons. Right. And- it also doesn't require spending money on uh, on pollination. I don't think all seedless fruits are produced through this process, but any fruit produced through this process is a seedless fruit. Okay. So like I when do you're eating know that a seedless you seedless ahead. watermelons are definitely made this way. Okay. Like wait, so when you're eating a, a black mission fig, like the, the crunchy seeds in there are like aborted seeds. They they are not quite fully developed seeds because they were never pollinated, fertilized. Well, no, those. Right? Uh, no, I no? think that okay. the, the seeds happen after fertilization. Because here's the thing: so you've got these little flowers in there, figure like little florets. Okay, this is pre-fertilization. Just it, let's talk like in general. If we're talking about a fig that needs to be fertilized, okay, you've got these little flowers in there. They've got these little ovaries, and when the fig wasp or the pollinator comes in and and pollinates them, those little ovaries develop into a seed. Oh, yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right for a caducus fig. Yes, whereas... But I was talking about like a common type fig. Okay, so for those, they, yeah, they develop the seed without needing to be pollinated. Right, so I I think technically that is is not a seed. Oh, so it's it's like an aborted little... 
ovary type like thing? A, like a pre, pre... No, the ovary develops into a fruit, but it produces... It, it produces, like, it can't produce seeds because it hasn't been fertilized. So it produces, like, things that have, like, parts of a seed, but not, like, the embryo. Oh, maybe, like, the it has, like, the, the one of the, uh, some kind of carp, an yeah, endo carp yeah, or something. It, it definitely has like some, some kind of carp, like a koi or... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not one of those invasive carp. Oh, yeah. Can yeah, you even imagine? <laughs> I, yeah, I, that would be terrible. I imagine? imagine you bite into a fig and invasive carp come out of it. Well, we but we should talk about that because, like, you know, people always ask, like, you know, people always come up to us and ask, like, <laughs> is there a wasp in my fig? And the answer is sort of sometimes. I don't know of anybody who's ever, like, bitten into a fresh fig and found a wasp in there. But with a black mission fig... If you're buying black mission figs, I think you can feel pretty confident that you're never going to find a, a, a wasp in there. Because a wasp because never went per- in there. That's right. That particular type does not require wasps, okay? On the other hand, these caducus, am I pronouncing this right, do you well, think? Well, I mean, based on the spelling, <laughs> I, I like caducus. Okay. So uh, so those kinds of figs, for instance, a Smyrna fig or a Calmyrna fig, which yep. we'll talk about in a minute, as far as I understand, those do require cross-pollination by a wasp. So, Yeah, so um, what happens is the, the wasp crawls in there like pollinates the fig and dies. And then the fig produces an, an enzyme, physin, that dissolves the dead wasp long before you eat the fig. And so there was, there's been like a debate on like whether wasp pollinated figs are vegan for this reason. And uh, I noticed that the, the vegan society of the UK says, yes, it's fine. This is the result of like That's a mutualistic so relationship. And the wasp is completely dissolved by the time you get the fig in your mouth. Do you know what I find really especially interesting about this is that the Wikipedia entry, like I looked at multiple different Wikipedia entries going from, you know, like one to another to get all this information. And none of them said what happened to the wasp. So, uh, I I wonder, I I guess they were embarrassed to tell you. I wonder if it's like bad PR for figs or something. And like they try to, maybe somebody keeps going in each day and adding, you know, the end of the wasp story to the Wikipedia (laughs) and somebody else comes and erases it. Oh, yeah. But now, like, they, they can't erase our podcast. Finally, the truth nope. will come out. But it, like, right. like how the wasp cannot come out of the fig. That's right. Okay, but wait. So what's in it for the wasp? Oh, okay. So this is calling on, like, stuff I remember from, uh, like, biology class many, many, many years ago. But uh, figs are dioecious, right? So so there are, there are right. figs, figs with male parts and figs with female parts. Um, yep. And the fig wasp wants to get into a male fig because that's where it can lay its eggs, uh, you know, crawls in, it lays its eggs. The the male and female wasps mate inside the fig and like then the females bore their way out and the male the male fig wasp is just like a, a little an adjunct. This is so much more information than than I found. Wow, Matthew, wait a minute. So so they're basically using it as like a little love nest. Right. And the male figs uh, are not to, edible to, to us at least. So they're they're little oh, stubby guys. Okay. Okay. The fig tree wants to lure the wasp into a female fig where that it will pollinate. Okay. This is not good for the wasp because the wasp just crawls in and dies. Got it. Okay. But the wasp has already used the male figs to propagate itself. Not this wasp. This wasp hit a dead end. Okay, but so, what, what so about this, the this eggs wasp, that were laid somewhere right, else? So this, this wasp was born in a male fig, came out, went and like, oh, I need to go like find a fig and lay my eggs there. I'm going to go into this one. Uh-oh, it's a female fig. I'm screwed. <laughs> okay. 
why is the male is the female fig like not a, a, a good environment for the for the wasp to like lay its hatch its eggs? I don't know. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, this is so interesting. I'm really glad that Mr. Botany showed up to tell us these things. Oh yeah, this because... has been Mr. Botany. Bye. So Matthew, wait a minute. If I'm eating a black mission fig, I can feel quite confident that there was never a wasp in there. Right. And if you're Whereas eating... if I'm eating a, a Smyrna fig or a Calmyrna, which we'll get to in just a minute, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be confident uh, th- th- that, that there was a wasp, wasp in there. Okay, great. Good to know. Wasp or no wasp? That's our, our new game. Okay. Personally, I'm, I I always hope for no wasp, not because not in the fig context, but just like I got, you know, I got stung by a yellow jacket a couple of years ago and it sucked. Lori got stung by one this year and it sucked. Where I'm did sure Lori I'm, get stung? I mean, where, where did, where did she come into contact with the yellow jacket? Well, it was outdoors. I know that. I don't remember, but like it's, I, it's stung around is- her arm and it got all swollen. This is so interesting because you guys, I, I, you spend so much less time outdoors than I do in the summer. That's and I, true. I encountered tons of yellow jackets. I mean, I went camping this summer in a place that was swarming with yellow jackets and mosquitoes. And so far, knock on wood, this is me knocking on wood. I have not yet been stung, but I feel like I'm constantly trying to evade a yellow jacket sting. So I mentioned that I recently went to Joshua Tree National Park, right? Went on went on a hike, mm-hmm. and there was like a guide, like a like a park ranger who like gave us a little uh, spiel before, like uh, you know, uh, when you when you're halfway done with your water, turn back, and also that the park is full of rattlesnakes. And uh, I will never forget uh, what she said, uh, which was like, you know, when you th- imagine someone getting bitten by a rattlesnake, you imagine them getting bitten on the ankle, right? Well, that's not how it usually happens. Usually, when someone gets bitten. It's because they sit down on a nice looking rock and they put their hand down and the snake bites them on the hand. I did not see anyone sit down on a rock on this whole hike. (laughs) We were all terrified. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I've gone to Joshua Tree maybe two or three times Mm -hmm. and have never received this warning. Well, now you have. And sat on rocks and eaten lunch. And I've like gone scrambling on the rocks and put my hands in all kinds of weird crevices. Yeah. And, oh no, my I love God. putting my hands in weird crevices. It's one of my favorite things. Me too. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Back to figs. Okay. So because ripe figs, of course, don't, you know, because they're really like delicate, they they don't transport well. And so most commercial fig production is in like dried and processed forms of figs. Yeah, I've definitely Um, gotten a moldy fig like at the bottom of a little pint of figs. Not pleasant. That sounds like an insult, like you moldy fig. Yeah, or like uh, like a British pub with with an ironic name, like the moldy fig. Or, or wasn't the Moldy Peaches a band? Yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, okay. Glad we established that. Anyway, 
So the the world's largest producers of figs, you might you might guess, uh, are in the Mediterranean area, which is the area of the world that figs are native to. Okay. So as of a few years ago, I don't have up to date data, Matthew, but as okay. of 2018, the world's largest producers of figs were Turkey, Egypt, Morocco, and Algeria. Okay, that makes sense. And and this totally makes sense because, yeah, figs are native to the Mediterranean and Western Asia, and they have been cultivated there since ancient times. In fact, Matthew, the edible fig was one of the first plants cultivated by humans. Wow. Should we talk about fig leaves? Like why why they, you use them to, to cover your junk if you're in a, a Garden of Eden type of arrangement? Figs, in part because of how ancient they are and and that they are native to a part of the world where like a lot of religions have holy sure. places figs are tied up in a lot of it, it, they're they're tied up in like islam christianity i'm not sure about judaism but they show up in many religious texts and and histories yeah and you know, supposedly, uh, in the Garden of Eden, after after they ate the fruit from the serpent, and then they they noticed that they were naked and felt shame, they covered themselves with fig leaves. Okay, does that answer your question? Uh, that that definitely answers my question. Yeah, okay, was great, the great. was the fruit in the Garden of Eden a fig? I know this is a thing you that know, can't actually be answered. I think they talk about it as being an apple, but it would make more sense if it were a fig. Okay. Let's, let's Don't they say talk it about it as an apple? Oh, oh, definitely. But then, like you were like, you know, but actually, like you know, historically, it was probably it's probably a, a fig, a fig, or an apricot, or something. I don't know. You know, if there's one thing we are known for, it's our religious scholarship. Yes. So, um, um, we are the the authorities. On you know, this, clearly. you know who we need to call upon here, Mister Theology. We do. <laughs> oh, what a shame! He's out for the day. Too bad. He's on a office, field trip. Office hours for Mr. Theology are on uh, <laughs> Wednesdays, and our show comes out on Thursdays. Okay. Well, everybody, uh, good thing I'm here with my uh, second-rate knowledge. Oh, great. So this is pretty cool. So, I mean, like, thinking about how, how long humans have been cultivating figs, pretty cool. So fossilized figs were once found in, um, you know, in the excavation of a Neolithic village in Jordan, dating back to the 9000s BC. So wow. that means that that fig cultivation predates the domestication of wheat, barley and legumes and according to some may be the first like known instance of agriculture like humans intentionally growing and cultivating certain plants. Okay, I know I'm supposed to be Mr. Etymology, but I have a etymology question for you that you may or may not be able to answer. Why is it called Neolithic? What's the, what, oh, why is it new? Like, why isn't it just lithic? Because it's probably in contrast to paleolithic, right? Oh, like, of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, it was I pale- mean, I think it's all yeah. relative. It's all relative. Yeah. Good answer. It's all relative. <laughs> all <laughs> right. You, you got a B, B plus uh, on the test. Thank you. Um, anyway, figs were widespread in ancient Greece, as you might guess. Aristotle wrote about their cultivation. Uh, he also wrote so, about so fig wasps. So did your dad and his friend so David. So did my dad. Was his friend Michael. David? Michael. <laughs> Michael. Yep. Uh, figs were also like a common food source for ancient Romans. Pliny the Elder wrote about figs. Hell yeah. Uh, here's a fun fact. Rome's first emperor, Augustus was reputed to have been poisoned with figs from his own garden that his wife had smeared with poison. Okay. He, and that's why they're called smear figs. terrible husband. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> nice we, talk, we both made, those were both good jokes at the, exactly the same time. 
remote recording okay. is awesome. Okay. Uh, anyway, Matthew, uh, would, would Mr. Etymology like to make a visit? Because uh, we're not going to talk about Neolithic anymore, but we're now going to talk a little <laughs> bit about where the word fig comes from. It's time for Mr. Etymology. Hi. It's me, Mr. Etymology. The word fig was first recorded in English in the 1200s, and it comes from the old French figue, itself from Occitan or Provençal figa, from the Romance fica, from class classical Latin ficus, meaning fig or fig tree. In Italian, figs are fico, derived directly from the Latin. What do you think of that? There we go. Uh, I, I think that's so, great. Uh, thank you, Mr. Etymology. Is a ficus tree like a type of ornamental fig tree? Yes, yes. So here's the thing. So um, so figs are grown throughout the temperate world now, both for the fruit and as an ornamental plant. And so the the genus ficus has something like 800 different plant species in okay. it, of which ficus carica, which is the tree that produces the edible fruit that we know as the fig, is, is just one. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, so, so anyway, yeah, it's it's uh, you know what we think of as a, a fig tree, like that grows the edible fruit, has a really distinctive look to it. It's got these big leaves with three to five like deep loaves, loaves. <laughs> I mean loaves, loaves. Anyway, but I have um, I have a fiddle leaf fig tree upstairs in my living room. What does room. that mean? Well, so it's the leaves are shaped like the body of a like a violin. Okay, I'm um, looking this up. But the interesting thing is, Matthew, if you cut off one of the leaves or injure the the plant, that milky sap comes out. Okay, I'm looking at a picture of this fiddle leaf fig, and people have amazing imaginations <laughs> to to claim that this, that this leaf looks like a the body of a violin. On. Hold on. Uh huh. Fiddle leaf fig. This just I'm looks like a regular now. leaf to me. No, no, you, these pictures are not doing it justice. Okay. Like if you, well, they look they look a bit teardrop shaped. Okay. In these pictures, but anyway, whatever. Shut up, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving right along. So you know. I feel like, especially in the 90s, when we were all getting into figs. Yep, yep. I tend to think well, of we it were as wasps. like a calif... Like, that's right. <laughs> like, well, as everyone knows, it, there is a stage in human development that is the fig wasp stage. Yeah. And back in the 90s, that's when you and I were passing through that stage. Yeah, we were like, I was like, hey, Molly, I'm really getting into figs lately. And you were like, mm -hmm. yeah, me too. And I too. was like, ooh, with goat cheese and, and balsamic? And I was like, and no, you were like, literally. no, just to lay my eggs. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> anyway, I remember thinking of figs as being kind of synonymous with like California food. Very much so. Um, and part of this is that figs grow really well in California. And okay, there is sense. a pretty long history of this, at least that predates the founding of the U.S. So when Spanish missionaries led by Junipero Serra, when they when they came to California, or at least the, they brought figs to California in 1769. Okay. Um, and the, the variety they cultivated is the mission variety, which is still popular. This is from Wikipedia. As the population of California grew, especially after the gold rush, a number of other cultivars were brought there from the East Coast of the U.S. and from France and England. By the end of the 19th century, it became apparent that California had the potential for being an ideal fig-producing state right. because of its Mediterranean climate and its latitude of 38 degrees, which lines up San Francisco with Izmir, Turkey. Oh, I didn't know that. 
I, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. I think I think they, I would have guessed that like San Francisco is like well north of Turkey. But no. I would have guessed so too, because I think of it as being like, I, I think we also often hear the Bay Area being compared to like wine regions in France. Yeah. Or maybe wine regions in Italy or something. But maybe we just uh, don't know geography. You know who we should call upon? Mr. Geography. Yeah, that's right. It's too bad. His office hours aren't till tomorrow, though. Okay. Friday. <laughs> Fine. Anyway, uh, a guy named G.P. I feel like there's like not a lot of gender diversity among the experts that we call on for this show. Maybe we need to work on that. Why don't we have like Ms. Theology? Yeah. Why not? Or like mix geography. Okay. Let's get some new experts. Okay. I'm not done. A guy named, I think a guy or a person (laughs) named G.P. Rixford. <laughs> okay. First brought Smyrna figs to California in 1880, the most popular cultivar of the Smyrna type fig. So again, this is a type that does require a fig wasp for mm-hmm. pollination. Uh, the most popular cultivar of the Smyrna type fig is Calimyrna, being a name that combines California and Smyrna. The cultivar, however, is not one that was produced by a breeding program and instead is from one of the cuttings brought to California in the latter part of the 19th century. It's identical to a cultivar that's been grown in Turkey for centuries. <laughs> there okay. ends all my information. I have a question and an observation. My question is, is it Calmyrna, like C-A-L-M, or is it Calamyrna? Because I thought it was Calmyrna. I've always pronounced it Calmyrna, but Wikipedia spells it Calimyrna. Let's look um, this up. Okay, I've always yeah, thought no- it was Calmyrna. No, I think I think we're wrong, and it's Calamirna. Also, uh, Google suggests that maybe I meant chlamydia. Oh, well, you might have. Yeah. The other thing is uh, speaking speaking of of ways to transmit cl- chlamydia. Um, it, here in Calgary, there are a couple of uh, light rail train lines, and uh, like train lines in many places, uh, it says on the front of the train what like the the terminal destination of the train is, and one of them uh, terminates at 69th Street, and it doesn't say 69th Street; it says 69th Street. So every time I see that, I'm like <laughs> I elbow, I elbow uh, wife of the show, Lori, and, and I'm like, I'm taking the train to 69th Street, and to to uh, like she did laugh the first time. I'm pleased to report. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay. Uh, okay, so Matthew, you know what? This episode has already gotten way too long. Mm-hmm. Let's just talk about how we eat figs. Okay, I don't what do eat you do figs, figs very often, but okay, can I can I bring out my prop here? Please. I've got here the Dick Taylor Craft Chocolate, seventy two percent dark with black fig. Uh, I bought it at a place called Luke's Drug Mart in Bridgeland, Calgary, which is a this is okay. This is the most hipster thing I've ever encountered in my life. It is a pharmacy grocery store, vinyl record store, and coffee shop. And of course, they also sell fancy chocolate. I think this chocolate bar was $18. Um, Are you and it's kidding? Eight Canadian dollars. And uh, it's okay. uh, 72% Madagascar dark chocolate with black figs. So there's like chunk, little chunks of dried black mission figs stuck to the back of this chocolate bar. And I'm going to try some now. Great. Mm. Can you taste the fig? Hmm. It's a good chocolate. Um Yeah. I don't know if I can taste the fig. It's got like little like knobbly bits that okay. like remain in your mouth after you've <laughs> finished like swallowing the chocolate. That which I don't know if that's ideal. F- the fig experience. And yet, now that the chocolate has dissolved and I'm like chewing on these little nubbles, now I'm getting a little bit of fig flavor. I think this is a pretty oh. good bar. Okay, that sounds pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. Well, you know, another thing that I think everybody has encountered at some point in their lives, uh, or at least I hope they have encountered, is a Fig Newton, which is, I 
I feel like every kid, at least of our generation, grew up knowing that Fig Newtons existed, and yet none of us probably ever thought about what an actual fig was. No, I don't think so. Or the fact that we were eating uh, these weird little crunchy dried niblet bits. I think we did an episode where we ate Fig Newtons, like a packaged cookie episode or something. They're so good. When I was a kid, like my mom would buy them at like the natural food store, and they weren't Fig Newton brand, and and we called them Fig Bars. Um, and so they had okay. some more like whole grain to the to the wrapper. Those were those were pretty good too. But then like when I got my hands on like actual brand name fig dunes, I was like, oh, this is like a cookie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you ever just buy dried figs for eating? Like any other dried fruit? The most recent most recent time I've done that was when we did the dried fruit episode a couple months ago. So no. Mm-hmm. Do you? Yeah, I don't tend to I don't tend to either. Um I think of them most often coming um shaped into like a little disc, like neatly nestled around one another. Uh, and they're usually light colored in that form. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I do when know they what come in like a little hockey puck shape. Mm-hmm. And I think of those as being maybe Smyrna figs or some like, I think you're right. uh, like Calimirna figs. Although you can also get like a, a black fig that is dried. But a dried fig just doesn't quite do it for me the same way that other fruits do. Um, I So when I get a good black mission fig, like I, I want to eat like 10 of those and then I'm good for like till till next year probably mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that's like that's how I that's my relationship with figs I don't think about them a lot then sometimes they'll like come across my plate then I like reach down with my uh my big uh like beefy hand and uh, just mm-hmm. like shove them all in my mouth in a in a in a bacchanal then I go back to being a uh, uh, Mr. Etymology okay uh, figs it's interesting. They they have this real like aura of delicacy to and also, them. And also, they're I guess considered like they, a sexy fruit, right? Like partly, I think, because of the way a they sexy look. Fruit. I think that, that, you know, they kind of look like a big giant ovary. We sure. don't think about the fact that they're actually just filled with ovaries. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think about um, it. But they, they look like I picture an ovary looking. I mean, I yeah, kind of no, picture my mean. own ovaries looking like that. Like once a month, like they just pop out one of those little little crunchy seeds. Like one of those little wasps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the, the flavor of a fresh fig is so subtle, but so delicious when you get a perfectly ripe one. If you were to sit me down and be like, Molly, I have prepared for you a platter of delicacies here. Oh, like, yeah, like perfectly this happens ripe. a lot. <laughs> this happens to me all the time. It's going to ha- it, 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 it's ha- going to happen to me tonight. I just know it. Yes, I'm, well, I, I mean, I'm going to be the one who has to prepare it and pay for it. No, I but, was going to say it's usually you you like cry out uh, like like prepare me my platter of delicacies. This is kind of your catchphrase. Oh no, just as I said that, Molly froze up. I don't know if, it's, I think it's my internet. Okay, I think we're back. Okay, okay. I, I missed everything you said, but as long as it was funny, we can go on. Okay, great. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you know, Matthew, I would be really pumped to sit down in front of a platter that had some like fresh figs, maybe a little pot of honey that I could drizzle mm-hmm. onto things, some goat cheese, Maybe even a little bit of kind of reduced balsamic, slightly reduced balsamic, like mm-hmm. honey and figs, even though figs are sweet, there's something about the flavor of honey. I'm salivating just thinking mm-hmm. about it. The flavor of honey with figs is really wonderful. You know what this reminds me? It reminds me of a thing I need to do, which is not really fig related. But the other night, I'm just going to keep calling out places in Calgary. Hang on. I'm going to finish chewing first. Hey, uh, this episode, of course, is coming out right after the Christmas holidays. And uh, did any of you have figgy pudding? I mean, seriously, go to our Reddit and tell us if you had figgy Mm -hmm. pudding. We want to know. 
Reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. Yeah, what is figgy pudding? I think like I've read an article like seven times like, you know, did you know that this is what figgy pudding really is and maybe it doesn't even have figs in it and then I forgot again. Yeah, me too. The other night, uh, we ordered a, a cheese and charcuterie platter from a place called Peasant Cheese in Kensington, Calgary. Uh, and it was very good and it had like a huge array of like accompaniments for uh, the three cheeses and, and three meats. Uh, and so there were like some dried cherries and uh, and like various pickles. There were like pickled Brussels sprouts that were a little spicy and really good. And then there was this thing that looked like maybe some sort of like pickled citrus or like dried citrus peel, but didn't taste like citrus. And I have not the slightest idea what it was. Interesting. Have you had an experience anytime like recently where you ate something and you're like, hmm, this is good. I don't know what it is and I might never find out. I might have to call them. Yeah, I think you should find out. I, I have not had that experience recently, but I think it's because, and Ash and I were talking about this the other day, that we have so gotten out of the habit of going to restaurants like we did before the pandemic. Oh, sure. And we, we and, brought this platter home. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I think some of it is is financial. Um, oh, but sure. But some of it is definitely like we are just out of the habit of being like, hey, uh, let's do something special and go out to dinner. Like now it's like, hey, I'm tired. Let's get some Thai food. Oh, out. yeah, absolutely. That sounds depressing, but I don't mean it that way. No, no. Listeners, I know, are, are very excited to find out what this dried thing was. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let them know on a future episode if I remember to call this cheese place. Great. Uh, okay, Matthew, I think we need to head into segments. I think we do. This could be our longest episode. <laughs> this could be our most boring informational uh, no, mini no, expert no, no, no. visitor episode no no we're like we're like wasps like stinging your brain with with little uh uh injections of knowledge. knowledge yep matthew do we have any spilled mail we sure do this mail is from listener tessa who writes Before my parents met, the way in which ketchup was applied to one's hot dog was never questioned. My mother puts ketchup directly on her hot dog bun. Conversely, my father dips his hot dog into the ketchup on his plate. Once they started dating, their condiment worldviews collided and they realized that they had assumed that there wasn't any other way. This only applies specifically to ketchup ostensibly and not other sauces or condiments. My question is, do you have food habits that didn't become apparent or deemed strange until you met your partners? Are there things you do differently and think that the rest of the world is doing incorrectly? And do you apply ketchup or other condiments directly or are you a dipper? Okay, so let's start with the first part of the question is like, do you have any food habits that you didn't realize were like individual to you (laughs) unique to you and no other human on earth uh, until you met your partner or me? Gosh, I'm sure there must be something. I can't think of anything right now. Do you have something? Not really. Like I've been with my romantic partner and my comedy partner for so long at this point that I don't remember back that far. I think that for me, it's a little bit tricky too, because I have had to, you know, I was with uh, Brandon for, oh man, we were together for 10 years and with Ash, well, we just celebrated our sixth anniversary of dating. Isn't it crazy that Ash and I have now already been together six years? So I've had these two fairly long partnerships and it's hard for me to remember like what I did before I met Brandon, like how many of the habits that I had coming out of my relationship with Brandon did I have going into it, like especially as food goes, because we were both really interested in food. 
I have no idea. I don't remember anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the fact that I don't really like most condiments is weird. And like any anyone I, I eat with probably thinks that's weird. So yeah, so we're totally normal and we don't have any weird habits is what we're saying. That's exactly right. That's what we're saying. Uh, Matthew, are there any things that you do and you think the rest of the world is doing doing it wrong mm. the way that the rest of the world is doing it? No, because because I don't I don't want to like yuck anyone's yum and like if if everyone seems to be doing something differently like I'm definitely the weird one. You know what? It occurs to me, Matthew. Do you remember when we uh, on one of our episodes we talked about how much we both like eating fruit uh, when it's chilled? Yeah, that is true. As That's opposed not to room super temperature, popular it seems like. Yeah, people wrote in and they were just astounded. Uh, I would say that that is something that you and I do that the rest of the world does differently. And That's it's not true. that uh, I, I don't think other people are doing it wrong. I just prefer. No, it's cold just a fruit. thing that makes us better than other people. That's right. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, but to answer the question about ketchup, I definitely apply the ketchup to the hot dog. I don't apply it to the bun, though. I apply <laughs> right. it onto the hot dog. I thought dog, that was a kind of, a, kind of an interesting bun. way of expressing that. Yeah, no, it, it, it goes on to the dog. Yeah, no, like I, I don't usually put a sauce on a hot dog. I, I prefer like uh, to like tuck some uh, some pickled jalapenos in there and maybe some sauerkraut, but I don't like ketchup or mustard, as you know, and still haven't made much progress with that. But if I'm going to put like barbecue sauce on a burger, like I'm going to put it on the burger patty and then kind of smoosh it down with the bun. So like, yeah, mm-hmm. like and if I'm putting hot sauce on something, I'll, I'm doing like a like a shaking hot sauce motion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, it, it depends on the food, I guess. Cause like, I'm not going to like put a sauce on fries. I'm going to dip the fries in the sauce. I think that it depends on whether the thing is like, I think of a condiment as being something that goes on the food, okay. whereas a dip is dip, something right. that you dip into. For but instance, some, like some when- Some sauces can serve both functions. Sure, sure. But like, for instance, if you get fresh rolls at uh, like a Thai restaurant, yeah. and maybe they come with a peanut sauce or something- that peanut sauce I'm always going to dip into because it is too thick to be pourable. It's it's yeah. meant to be a dip. But yeah, I'm I'm know. thinking mostly about barbecue sauce, which is like most like if you come up to me on the street, um, <laughs> what was it? People were going to come up to us on the street to ask earlier. I don't remember. Um, but if you come <laughs> up to me on the street and I seem like lost in thought, I'm probably thinking about barbecue sauce. Um, we went okay. to, we went to a barbecue place where there were like three sauces. People don't want to hear any more about things I did in Calgary three months ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm already bored. I know. I'm bored with myself. Um, okay. And anyway, so like barbecue oh, sauce. Oh, but you're going to go on. I love dipping. But but this, is, but this isn't the thing that happened in Calgary. Like I love dipping fries in barbecue sauce. I also love pouring barbecue sauce on a, on a burger. It can do both of those things. Okay. Well, thank you, listener Tessa, for inviting us to think about this. This, is, this was a really important conversation. And thank you for inviting us over for Hot Dogs. We'll be right there. Matthew, do you have a now but wow? I do. I have a now but wow that I'm really excited to share. It is a Substack newsletter by Tu Huang Ha called The Weekly Grief. 
And I subscribed to it because I saw, I kind of had like searched Substack or like, you know, followed like, you know, a recommended newsletter from someone else um, because she uh, lives in and writes about Japan. But she's Mm -hmm. just like a wildly great and creative uh, and just like prose on fire kind of writer whose mind goes all kinds of places. Um, And like the most recent piece was about uh, um, learning, finally learning her blood type in Japan, which is a place that has a lot of superstition around blood types and what they mean for your personality. And uh, Ha is definitely skeptical of this sort of thing, but also is not going to like write an essay that's as simple as like, you know, I am skeptical of that there's a relationship between blood type and personality. It went uh, a lot more, a lot more interesting places than just like skepticism or belief. And uh, like, I find her writing really transporting and just like spending, spending time with, with her, her language is a privilege. I want to clarify that the piece about blood type, that would have been the most recent piece at the time of us recording oh, this. Oh, right, 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 which is so we're that, recording this in October and it's now like the end of 2022. So, right. so yeah, so probably there have been like other great newsletters since then. So yeah, so absolutely like subscribe and pay. This is a writer very much worth your time. Weekly Grief, that's uh, W-E-E-K-L-Y-G-R-I-E-F dot substack dot com. Oh, awesome. I am pulling it up on my computer yeah, as we like, speak. Her writing's so good. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Excellent. Well, our producer is Abby Circatella, and she is probably dying over how long this episode is and how much we now know about your trip to Calgary. <laughs> right. But, we, we know uh, so much more than we wanted to. Is probably taking taking solace in the fact that she is paid by the hour. <laughs> That's true. Um, my my co-host Molly also has a Substack newsletter called I've Got a Feeling. Uh, it's at mollyweisenberg.substack.com. Also very good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, you know who appeared in an interview in, on Molly's in Molly's newsletter recently? Uh, you did, Matthew. Yeah. Yes, we had we had a wonderful conversation that I think people really enjoyed. So I, I uh, think thanks so for that, too. Matthew. And like, yeah, we, it was like a walk with like your dad and and his friend Michael talking about big topics. Except we yeah. were like sitting on uh, opposite ends of a wire talking about big topics. That's right. You can chat with other Spilled Milk listeners on our Reddit. That's reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. And until next time, uh, we're going to be crawling into your ears like a fig wasp and just doing that's, our that's thing. That's right. And we're just going to get dissolved and stay in there. So hi, everybody. <laughs> it's us. We've, we've been we're in there in. for like 13 years now. It's been great. I'm Matthew Amster Burton. I'm Molly Weisenberg. <laughs> we can't make people listen to our podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, wish we could. Yes, yeah. No, if we could, yeah. we would. If we had, oh, if yes. we had uh, like, like coercive means at our disposal. I mean, if there were a way to use our powers for evil, I, I mean, I might oh, yeah. occasionally. We would, we would do be it. doing that by now. We just haven't quite cracked the code. This, this Klimt painting behind me would be, would be very much at home in an evil lair. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I wish all of our listeners could see this painting that's behind my head. Like, Matthew, you uh, could probably Google like famous <laughs> Klimt paintings, and you could yeah, find out which one it is, and then the listeners would know because you would tell we'll them. It, we'll put it in the show notes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google Great. right now, famous Klimt paintings naked lady it's called water serpents 2 oh wow oh this is only part of the painting okay oh. we're, we're changing the uh all right i, I did find the <laughs> painting and and we're now uh the topic of our episode is going to be paintings water serpents
water serpents. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 